I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. You're pinning words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, and we keep it Wakanda forever. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know we had it like that after, did you? Uh, <laughs> oh, trust me, I've been... I, I, I got a son, so I'm always Wakanda forever, and I'm, we just walk around with our... I don't even get anything done. My hands are always up in my, up in my chest. <laughs> On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always, <clears throat> excuse me, is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Uh, Chris Derrick is out. He's on script this week, so he's out doing his thing, uh, but we're excited for this episode. You guys are going to enjoy it, so if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and jump right on into the show. So today, we got my man, Anthony Q. Farrell in the building, showrunner, executive producer. OG pimp dog himself. What <laughs> <laughs> a grown folk. What a grown folk. Look. <laughs> What's up, man? Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you for having me. This is great, man. I, I like ranting, so this is the perfect place for me. Indeed, indeed. We're looking forward to it. Um, so one of the reasons why I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while um, is, first of all, I love what you do, you know? Um, and I love that you are oh, you're able to show people that you can make a living and you don't have to be in Hollywood. You know what I mean? It's yeah. really important. And be a black man, you know, running shows or co-EPing or EPing, you know what I mean, from another place. It's possible. You yeah. know what I mean? So that's one of the things I really wanted to get into with you is how did that happen for you and where did you come from and, you know, how did you get into the game? Absolutely. You know? Yeah, you want, you want the, the Anthony Q. Farrell uh, backstory? Yeah, give it to him. All right, so uh, I'm from Toronto originally, actually. So my, I was born here, but my parents are from the islands, from St. Kitts and Nevis. All right. So when I was a kid, like, there was literally, like, we moved back and forth. There were literally weekends where I was, like, I was on a beach on Saturday, then I was making a snowman on Sunday. Yes, and I was just like, this is, <laughs> this is different, I think. Um, but so I grew up in Toronto. I, would, I started, like... I started getting into like theater, like during high school. That's what I really was like, okay, I wanna do something in the arts. And then I went to university. I did I did theater and math. That was my double major. And so were, were you acting first? Was I what? Were you acting first? Yeah, I started acting first. That's what okay. that's kind of how I started. I was yeah, like me too, me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of you know how so many of so many black writers are like, I there's nothing, no one's writing anything for me. So I gotta I'm gonna have to get into it and start writing stuff for myself, which is <laughs> too often the case. But for me, I was acting and then I was like, I was in the theater school and I did theater and math. I went to university, did theater and math. And then the plan was gonna be, I was gonna be a drama and math teacher. Uh, but then I started getting like roles in like professional theater and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, it's kind of cool. And then one of my professors was like, you should do this comedy school. That was like, it was, 
It's a comedy school, Humber Comedy School is at like an actual college. And they had like, you know, professors, like, you know, they had like teachers from Second City and from comedy clubs and like actual professionals come and teach comedy. And he was like, you should audition for this and then get into that, that school. So I did that. I got in, it was a year of comedy. We mm. did, did stand-up, improv. We had- Wow, stand-up too. Yeah, we had stand-up class, screenwriting classes. We had clown classes. I had a class called Shtick where <laughs> we did physical comedy. It was like a full year of like comedy immersion. Uh, and it was added like an actual college. So like there was like classes down the hall that were doing like human resources and accounting and you know travel. And then there was us like throwing pies at each other. <laughs> in a different we got a lot of complaints we had a lot of complaints uh so i did that um i met my wife during high school we, she had a green card to the states and i'm in canada now she had a green card that she had to use when she was done school or we would she would lose it so we actually got married right after school and we moved to atlanta we were in atlanta for a few years and that's where it's kind of like i was honing the writing even more i was writing theater i was in community theater doing that sort of stuff Moved out to LA in 2004. Mm. I joined a theater company. I was doing Groundlings. I was doing stand-up. I was kind of like, I don't know how I'm going to hit in this city, but mm. I'm going to do every single thing that I can until something starts to roll, and then I'm going to move from there, right? So I did... The thing that popped first was the writing. Mm. And I was... I had written a play and directed it. Uh, it was called Room. It was at a small theater, the Met Theater, at like... Where's that? It was like Western and uh, mm-hmm. Western Sam. So we, I did a play there, and one of my friends was like, my friend Eric Rudnick was like, you should write for TV. Oh, yeah, I know Eric. Mm-hmm. You know Eric? And I was like, well, how does that work? How does that happen, motherfucker? Like, what do I do? So he, he was like, talk to my manager, Cherie Guitar. Uh, she does this workshop. She was my first manager. Cherie is your first. So Cherie is still, Cherie is still my manager. To like, it's been oh, 16, really? That's we've been together 16, 17 years. We're fam now, right? So, <laughs> so I went to her workshop. And I just started focusing on the writing side of my career. I was writing scripts to, for the workshop. And the cool thing that she did, I don't know if you went to these workshops, but she on- I went know, to like Saturday, two or three of them, yeah. Yeah, so she had like on Saturday, she would do comedies and on Monday she would do dramas. And on Saturdays we would be like at Zach's Italian Cafe. Actors would come in, cold read people's scripts, the actors would leave, and then we would be a writer's room after that. So. Basically, I was in a writer's room every Saturday from like 11 till like 4.30 or 5 o'clock with other writers who were trying to make it. She picked me up as a client during that process. And I started, I wrote like, I write, I write, I move fast. I write fast because I'm from the sketch world, right? So you have to. I'm used to like, just like, I need a sketch in an hour. Let me just, six page sketch, done, right? So I wrote like in, the, in about, in a span of about, seven or eight months i had written three specs and three originals i wrote a, i wrote a spec called prolific uh, i love it <laughs> yeah I, listen i can't sit around man i gotta move i got things to do i <laughs> you know, so um i wrote like what were my specs i wrote like uh oh it was <laughs> my name is earl arrested development two and a half men okay. and i had three originals and started getting meetings showrunner meetings I got into the Fox Diversity program. That was the one where you had to go to the Santa Monica Writers Boot Camp. This is 2006. And then I got into the NBC Diversity Showcase. And I was going to get into Writers on the Verge, but I couldn't do it because of work. I was like, I, they were like, we want you in. I was like, I can't 
I can't do it because they at that time they were doing their stuff at like like Loyola Marymount. Right. My wife and I had one car. We, uh, <laughs> I was like I was like working my day job at Countrywide Home Loans in uh, in West Hills. I was like, there's no. <laughs> I was you know what was so funny? I was like sitting in my office with Erica Kinnear. Sitting in, oh, our, I love her. Yeah, you yeah. know, Erica's great. So Erica Kinnear, she was like, I was sitting in her office, mm-hmm. and she was like. I really want you to be in Brothers of the Verge. And I was like, okay, cool. I mean, my wife is pregnant. Um, she's got the car. I work in West Hills. I guess if I asked to leave work at like two, then I can take the bus down. She's like, slow down, slow down. She's like, okay, you don't <laughs> you don't have to do Brothers of the Verge. We know we we have, you know, we know you, we we like you, we like your writing. We'll we'll take care of you in other ways. And I was like, thank you. So, I'm never going to get that fairy dust everywhere you got. I was like, I was like, oh, thank you for understanding. So, but it's still, I just still did the NBC showcase, and that led to Caroline Williams, who was one of the writers in the office in season three. She saw one of the the sketch, the the scene that I wrote, that was uh, directed by Chill Kong, and uh, it was who were the two? It was Brandon Fobbs and Rich Pierre Louis, where there were the two actors in it, and they they were excellent. And Caroline saw this, the the sketch and she was like, "You should, we should get your stuff to Greg Daniels." Mm-hmm. So that that kicked off that situation where Cherie was sending him stuff, um, and then what, what, what finally got through to Greg? He know? read everything. So he okay. read, yeah. I mean, he, so he read the first thing he read was uh, I think the first thing he read was a, a a pilot that I had written for the Fox Diversity Program. Okay. And it was the pilot I wrote to get into the Fox Diversity Program. I couldn't use because they were like. They couldn't option it because it was about pimps. And they're like, we can't actually do this. <laughs> it was called Plain Pimpin'. It was about a pimp who found out he had a kid and was trying to get rid of all of his bling and everything, trying to like save money to get out of the hood. <laughs> so he was like getting rid of all of his bling. He was like yeah. selling his like fuzzy dice and he got to like a regular car and <laughs> he was getting rid of all of his hoes. He, he didn't have like flashy hoes anymore. He had incognito hoes, so he didn't really yes, know. Like, so, <laughs> so Fox loved the script. Uh, Ron Taylor, who was doing it, he loved the oh, script. Ron, I love Ron. Yeah, he was like, we can't, we can't do this script. So you have to write a new pilot mm-hmm. during the program so that we can option that, which I did. So I wrote a pilot called Candle and Kendra, based on two of my cousins who are real cousins who, at the t- not not so much anymore, but at the time they had worked really hard to do very little. They're like always trying to find, trying to cut angles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is, they're too, they're, they were too real. So then he read that. <laughs> And he's like, let me read another thing. So then he read one of my specs. Then he's like, let me read another thing. He read he read like four or five scripts. And then when wow. I actually met with him, he had actually shared some of the scripts with the other writers. Because when I went in for the meeting, I talked to him for like 45 minutes. And then Mike Shore and Mindy Kaling and Jen Salata and a bunch of the writers from the office from season three, they came in and they talked to me too. And some of them had read my scripts as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, all right, this is this is getting too real. So at this point, my wife was like, Nine months pregnant, we're about to have a kid, <laughs> working at Countrywide Home Loans. I walk out of there like I left that interview because they even showed me they showed me the set. I left the interview like I got this job. How could I not job. have this job after all that? Yeah, yeah. Cut to three weeks later, I still hadn't heard shit. The baby's oh, here oh. now. <laughs> I'm like, what's go- I thought we were besties. What's going on? Uh, <laughs> and it's just one of those things where it was like you know they. They had they had two writers they wanted. They had me and Ryan Coe. And Greg was trying to convince NBC to to get two diversity slots right. for the show. He's like, we're the office. Let me get two slots. So then 
they were initially fighting him on it, uh, but he eventually won that battle and he got us both in uh, yeah. for seasons four, uh, for season four of The Office. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, that's how I got in that, that first job. That was like, that was that. And then, you know, you find you, out- You were there for a couple of years, right? I was there seasons four and five, yeah. Okay. You find out real quick when you get there. It takes a lot of work to get there. It takes even more to stay, right? Because just like, that's just one of those things that's just like every, anytime you, you think, oh, I finally made it. And you're like, oh, shit. Now it's time <laughs> to get to work. Because <laughs> I'm sitting in a room with, you know. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So you mean there was a time when the writers were in rooms together? Back in the day. <laughs> when I was young, back in art seven when I started writing. Art seven, wow. Art seven. <laughs> when I started writing. Okay, look. Television shows. This is <laughs> this is when Tiva was 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 the wow. biggest thing work to get back in there. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to try that. No, no, yeah, so, so, yeah, but it was like so that was like, you know, I'm sitting in a Sitting in a room, like, you know, it was Mike Shore, Greg Daniels, like, you know, wow. Justin Spencer, Mindy Kaling, Lee Eisenberg, Gene Stavinsky. There's, like, a lot of, like, really... Mm-hmm. There, and it was great to, like, just kind of be a part of it and, and learn. I learned so much during that process. I was there seasons four and five. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, strike had happened. Like, right after I got the job, we got, like, we went on, we finished went on strike, like, after, like, right before I was about to get uh, a script. I was, right, I was about to get my script in season four. Mm-hmm. I have to get assigned a script. And then Greg was like, well, let's wait until after the strike. I think we're going to be gone for a few days. So we'll try and figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll assign it to you after we get back from the strike. Yeah. Cut to 100 days later. Okay, uh, look. <laughs> 100 days later. After I had just like, because when I got the job, I quit my day job at Countrywide Home Loans. I was working. I was like, oh, I'm a writer now. And then all of a sudden, 100 days of like no paycheck. <laughs> My baby's, it's been nice spending time with the baby, mm-hmm. which got to eat. And I was literally like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to call Country Right Home Loans and see if they still have my job. Wow. Um, but thankfully, the strike ended right on time. Um, and then- so you, know, you back the next season? Yeah, and then I, had back, and I came back the next season, and I got to pan a couple episodes. And But then it was like, after season five, I ended up leaving. They, they dropped four writers at the end of season mm. five because of- you know, because of the housing crisis, money, they had to cut a bunch of money from above the line from the budget. And it was, I felt bad, obviously, initially, mm-hmm. but then they got rid of me, the other writer that um, started the same time I did. Then they also got rid of two, like, they got rid of, like, Paul Feig. They dropped oh, Feig. Wow, they, Paul Feig. Yeah, <laughs> and they dropped Lester Lewis. So mm-hmm. there like four of us, they, and I was like, well, I have a good company. <laughs> <laughs> you know, dropping Paul V. I don't feel yeah, Paul. So. Paul's I'm fine. Now. He's fine. <laughs> Paul, yeah, Paul's doing all right. I feel like he came out of it okay. Yeah, um, and then it was one of those things where I was like, the nice thing about it was it was just a money thing, right? So uh, I got great. Re- I got great calls from like Greg called all of his like you know anyone he could talk anyone I needed anyone I met with Greg was happy to get reference to. Uh-huh. I've been you know anytime and I just. I still talk to Greg and Mike and those guys like whenever I whenever something's popping up. So uh, they've been really good about uh, you know giving me references and talking me up to people. So it's been it's been nice. So even though I left, it was one of those things where it was like it worked out all right. And then from there, my career. How, took a how long was turn. your? How long was your? Okay, you're getting. I was about to ask you how long was your 
cold spot, you know, before dry spot before you finally got something else? It was, it was, I was out of it for, I mean, I was, the nice thing is I had that office, you know, reference. I had that office. Right. Yeah. Every, it sounds, it sounds big when you're on It sounds big when you see, you know, two seasons on the office. And right. so I ended up, the funny thing is I ended up writing a pilot for Disney after that. Ooh. That same pimp script. That's hilarious. That same pimp script got to Disney. Huh. And someone was like, someone again was like, oh, uh, obviously there's no way Disney could do a script about pimps, but we love the characters. <laughs> you did a great job with the story, so on and so forth. Can you have any ideas that might work for kids? And so I went in and I pitched an idea and then I saw I sold them a pilot. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I guess I'm I'm developing now. So I started mm -hmm. developing with Disney. Um, and then, you know, the learned a lot of lessons from that because it was just one of those things where you kind of like sign a document going, Oh, if this goes, you're gonna make this much money per episode. You're gonna do this. You're gonna get an EP fee, Dude. all that stuff. And Dude. then you find out that's all magic money. None of that means anything unless you get to those places, right? So that was um, if come, yeah, if come. So I got paid to write the pilot, but then you know, and that's it was also a le good learning thing for me too because I found out like I found out through this process like you're not trying to please. You're not just trying to please the person that you're talking to. You're trying to please their boss, and they're trying to please their boss, right? So, so a lot of times now when I talk to people, if they give me a note, if I don't like the note, I'm not taking the note because I found that people they think they know their boss, but you don't know your boss, right? Because there have been plenty of times when someone's like, "Oh, they want it this way," and then they give it, then they give it to their boss, mm -hmm. and then when they don't like it, they blame you, and you're not in those rooms to defend yourself, like. I was doing what this motherfucker wanted. Like I, <laughs> I didn't want it to go that way either. <laughs> but you're not in those rooms, so you can't. So I'm at a place now where I'm like, if I don't like the note, I say I'm not taking the note. But here's why: because I feel like this is the intention I'm going for. I want to make sure this is part of the show. And I, I'm thankfully mm -hmm. in a place where I'm a career where I can I can do that right, and feel right. comfortable doing that. But early in my career, and a lot of people are in their career, they kind of feel like, oh, I'm just going to do whatever they tell me to do because. Because this is what the role, this is what the game is, and I and I do a lot of mentoring now, and I tell these, I tell writers coming up all the time, like, if you do that, you're gonna get to a place. If you everything works out, and you're in a show, you're in a show, you're working on a show that you don't really connect to anymore. Mm -hmm. So you might as well stand up for your beliefs early in the process, and then if you get through, then at least you're writing the show that you you really love. But if you change it for someone else, and then it doesn't go through, you'll always be like. Oh, what if I'd actually given them the show that I wanted to give them? Mm. Would that have been? Would that have changed things? So let me, let me ask you a question. So yeah. I was just thinking, I was thinking about this earlier as we were talking about doing this um, podcast, and I was thinking about you going from the office <clears throat> to a lot of these um, like children, young adult type of you know shows and stuff. And I was like, what happened? Like, where did that switch? And I'm hearing like where it came. You wrote that pilot and probably yeah. took you into that world. Yeah. <clears throat> and but actually, you've figured out a way to kind of master it. You know what I mean? Like you're on the highest level playing in that game, Nickelodeon and all these other, you know, places. One thing I noticed is I was just, you know, doing some research on you just before we got on this call is there's a slight little pattern in the shows you write. I don't know if you notice it or not. It's always family. Yeah. And it's always like 
this strange hodgepodge group of, of family and almost every single one of those somewhere there's a black family a father and a white kid and a, like it's always some hodgepodge the granddad is whatever you know what i mean it's very fascinating how you've done that and the show succeed you know and and you keep putting it whether there's an alien whether there's a you know it doesn't matter what it is you're able to make it work with a very diverse family, which looks like America now or, you know, the world now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I definitely wanted to get into that, you know, just remember that. Just I was just thinking about that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I'll, you know, I'll tell you real quick that that to me okay. is like, their families are so different than they were, right? Like it just like, they're made up in so many different ways. And there's so many people who have different families. And I feel like there's no, there's no right way to family anymore. So why not just have some fun with, you know, the, the things that you're putting out there. So yeah. So, so then the, the Disney thing kind of taught me like, you know, how to like, after that kind of went and went away, I was like, oh, I, it didn't go. And I kind of didn't ever get to show the bosses my version of the show. I kind of gave them the show that they, you know, the other executives wanted, right. uh, wanted to, to see. And I was like, okay, I wish I kind of stuck to my guns and showed them my, because then who knows what would have happened, right? Mm-hmm. But that the nice thing is that you're right. It did open up the door for kid stuff, and then I started developing with Nickelodeon, and then I got onto the the Thunderman show. Right. And I do remember, like, there's that whole there's that whole thing with like, oh, you're on a kid's show, you're on The Office, and anytime people are like, oh, I mean, I feel I feel bad for you. I'm like, listen, I don't feel bad for me. Have you seen? <laughs> Have you seen the green envelopes that come through on a Nickelodeon okay, show? Look. I mean, like, <laughs> listen, you can you can they keep them motherfuckers all day. You can, <laughs> your, you can keep your 26 episodes of your primetime exactly. show uh, that will never get played again. Right. And it, <laughs> I wrote like nine, nine episodes, nine, ten episodes of the Thundermans. We did 100 episodes. I wrote like nine or ten of them over four seasons. That those episodes are playing to this day. It's one wow. of the top shows in the UK now, actually. So it's, it's kind of like, so I got I very quickly because initially it was kind of like you have a little bit of an ego, like oh, I'm on a kids show, sure. and then you get that, and you're like, you know what though? I'm gonna feed my family. So Look. yeah, so, and then, that's that's what I was talking about. If it's trying to interrupt you, I apologize. Yeah, of course, that's exactly what I was talking about. That's the thing that. I appreciate about you is you figured out a way to stay in that lane and be happy to yeah. be able to pay your bills, to have a great life and to still be an EP. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that is really the key to still come home with awards and British awards and, you know, Canadian awards. I mean, you figured it out. You know what I mean? That's the key. Yeah. And, uh, and you have a black face. You're a black man and you're out there making it. So that's what I appreciate. Yeah. You know it's, here? It's it's interesting because even like you know after after the Thundermans I'm almost, I'm almost done my whole life story <laughs> give you my whole life story but <laughs> I, after the Thundermans while I was working on the Thundermans actually there was someone who had read something um, in the UK of one of my scripts and then I ha- started developing something with Zodiac Kids mm-hmm. and the thing we were developing didn't work out but I had a series that Nickelodeon had just passed on mm-hmm. uh, a pitch that I pitched to them and they were like oh we can't do this because we're doing another show and I was like. Well, let me see if this British producer is into it. Right. And Stephen Andrew, who was the producer I was talking to with Zodiac Kids, he was like, you know what? BBC might like this. And I was like, dude, I'm, look, let's go. Like, <laughs> do what you will. Right. 
he hit me up like three weeks later. He was like, yeah, they want to do it. And I was like, but this is how you sell shows. Yes. This is the way you find a producer <laughs> who knows people. Get in their face. And then so I was like, all right, let's let's go. And then that was well, the interesting thing about that is they wanted to do an interactive show. So I had to figure out a new process for doing an interactive series for the first two, mm. two or three seasons where the story stayed the same. So it wasn't choose your own adventure. It was a story that stayed the same because it still had to live on TV. But mm. on the internet, they wanted little things that you can kind of squeeze in where it's like you push a button and then something happens, right? So okay. I had to kind of like myself and Trevor Klein and Steven Andrew, we kind of figured out a way to, to make that work in a way that you could have the internet version of the show, but then also have the TV version of the show. Yeah. That, that was a cool thing, and, we, and that show ended up, that's the one that won the BAFTA, and we won a bunch of award awards with that show, and the, um, we went five seasons. Five seasons. Five seasons. Now, let me ask you, did you guys shoot that over there, or were you in, in Toronto? Yeah, we shot it in Belfast, so they were like, oh. so it was, it was really cool shooting that show, too, because I was kind of double dipping. I was working on, I was working on Thundermans at the same time for the first, oh, really? the first two seasons. Tell <laughs> I was doing both shows. I was like, I was like, because I was writing from LA, you know, it was the hustle. Listen, the hustle's real, right? Yeah. It's kind of like at that time too. Like we had the second kid at that point. I've, my son was born in 2014, and my daughter was born in 2007. So by the time I was working on Secret Life of Boys, we just had the second kid. But it's like you know, like listen, you make you make the time to make this work, right? Like I, I wanted to be a showrunner. And this was my opportunity, even if it, even though I was with, even though I was across <laughs> on the other side of the world, I was. I was going to make this happen, right? So, mm -hmm. so I was I, the the my showrunners at the Thundermans were cool. When I had like the first season of Secret Life of Boys, they let me go to the UK for two weeks. They let me out of my contract for two weeks to kind of go and be there for like the last week of pre-production, the first week of production. So I kind of got to be on set for a little bit. And it's a different thing over in the UK because they're not used to having writers on set. Usually, it's kind of like the director, hey. the producers are around, but it's not the writers. But they're like. Let me oh. let me ask you this though. Sorry, just keep your yeah. thought. Sorry. Yeah. Because I always I was always told for the most part because their orders are usually so short over there that it's usually the one or two writers who write the whole show. So I assume that they're probably on the set like we are. You know what I mean? But I get it's not quite like that, huh? Not always. No, not always. Like, in fact, the bigger writers can be on set, like you know the people like the Doctor Who writers, right, right, right? Like you know Downton Abbey, like they're on set because they're like you know they've written all the the entire they've written the entire season. They're on set, you know, as the writer, but. For the most part, it's kind of like the writers write the episodes, mm -hmm. give them to the directors and the producers, and then the writers kind of like, you know, move mm -hmm. off and they're working on something else. Oh, it's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was like, no, I need to be on set because this all came from my brain. I don't, I need to know you guys are doing it right. So the funny thing is, even though I could only stay for the first week of production, they didn't want me to leave after I was there. They're like, oh, really? you, you're leaving? I was like, I got to <laughs> get back to LA. And they're like, oh, come, me, please come back. So, but then I was we, getting, we didn't have a Zoom room back in back then. <laughs> <didn't have> <laughs> I was, I was, I was skyping like I was skyping like crazy back then. So, so, I was, I was doing both shows at the same time. I, the first season, I did write all the episodes for Secret Life of Boys. It was five episodes, mm -hmm. and uh, I wrote them while I was working on the Thundermans. And you know, I had time to write them because we're we're figuring things out with the interactivity and all that sort of stuff. That was a great group of kids. Those kids are freaking crazy. They were. <laughs> They were so, the actors were so good. Mm -hmm. uh, they're all like, they're great on set too. Like, it's just like, you know, they became a real family. Even just like, oh, they hang out with each other all, all the time now, even though they've done all the five seasons there. They're really like siblings. And the one girl who played, um, Erica Brown, who played um, 
who who played the star, she was like she was in she was in Melbourne, so she, she was kind of got to come to to Belfast, mm. uh, like you know once every summer and just kind of like you know play ginger <laughs> play, and then she had to leave, and then just kind of oh, you know it's like you know it's like any set you build you build these family relationships, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, so that show, the nice thing about that show is that season two I did have writers, but even though I I had writers from the UK and writers in LA mm-hmm. kind of like were all over the place. I, I, you know, I've been doing virtual rooms since 2016, 2015. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I didn't know how to do this yet. That's what's yeah. Up. So I've been, so when this, when this pandemic happened, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good on this. Like we, <laughs> this is how I've been doing it. I've been doing a lot of stuff remote because it was cool getting to go to Belfast to shoot stuff, but then the post would happen and I would have to do the post from LA. So I'm, I was used to working with editors remotely, used to working with writers remotely. So, uh, I kind of, I was all good when this this pandemic hit. I was like, okay, well, you know, I've been doing it anyway, so it's rolling, I guess. And then, uh, yeah, and then you know, the Thunderman's thing ended, and that's really around the time when I decided it was time for me to move to Canada, mm. move back to Canada. It was 2017. So you still were in LA. I was yeah, we started in LA. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I was in LA back home for some reason. I'm, no, yeah. I was in LA for I was in LA doing all so. The cool thing, and the cool thing I'll say about being in Belfast is that most of my crew also worked on Game of Thrones. So, oh, anytime yeah. I go back, I'd be like, "Yo, what's going on?" Everyone had just come off the Game of Thrones, like sure. you know, set, and I was like, "Oh, so what's going on this season?" And I got to go sit in the you know the Iron Throne because I had some you know sure, some sure. friends hook me up, and I was like, "All right, this is uh, pretty dope." Uh, <laughs> but it was around 2017. I was like in a place where we were finishing season four of. The Thundermans. I was working on the next season of Secret Life of Boys. Trump was doing his thing. 2017. I my son was three. I remember talking to him about why he couldn't trust police officers. I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> like, this is this is a fucked up conversation to have with a three year old boy. <laughs> it's important though. It's important. We had obviously I had to have it. Mm-hmm. He, he can't be like it was. You know what it was? I think he drew a police officer like. With a with a happy face, and my wife and I did look at each other like, nah, this. <laughs> nah, this is gonna set this kid straight. Uh, he, can't be, he can't be walking around as a three year old happy go lucky. He gotta he gotta be ready for shit. <laughs> and we're like, this is we we both grew up in Canada. We're like, this is not something that we want for our children. And then obviously, like you know, with healthcare and like the school system and all this stuff, and we were like, you know what, like. Everyone, everyone threatened to move to Canada after Trump won, and as we were like, we actually can't because we were at this point we're dual citizens. Most of our family was in Toronto, mm-hmm. so we looked at each other and were like, you know what? Like I can write from anywhere. Like, I can do this from anywhere. Like, I'll even be closer to my Secret Life of Boys show if I was in Toronto, and I can always come back to LA if I need to do anything here. And so I was already traveling for work enough that you know my wife and I we we were used to like the the workflow. So and she was writing a book at the time. Most of it was set in Toronto. So it was kind of it was like it made sense to to head to head home. So we so yeah, two, summer of 2017 we packed up and rolled out. And it's one of those things too that people were like, oh, so you didn't make it in LA. And I was like, actually, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> I, truthfully, like I had like. I had job offers, of course, as soon as I said I was leaving, of course, job offers come at me, like, when I'm leaving, right? I'm like, okay. So as soon as I decide I'm going to leave, I'm getting, like, a primetime network show offer. Really? 
<laughs> now I'm going though. This is like I was like my wife and I was like, oh, should we go? I was like, no, this is the, this is a test. Mm-hmm. A test to see mm-hmm. if you're real or if you're not real. So we were yeah. like, we're real. We're gonna go. We're gonna go. So we left, and I was always, I was developing stuff with people in Canada, so it just made sense to to roll out. And it, I'll say like. Four years later, it was absolutely the right choice. I feel good about it. Since I've come back, I've been show running shows here. Mm-hmm. I've been developing shows in, you know, in the States and in the UK and everywhere. And you can live you can live wherever you need to live. And then, you know, the, the world is shrinking. So mm-hmm. I love it, dude. I'm actually really inspired by that. You know, I don't know how much you know about me. You know, I grew up in the whole, you know, mod punk rock world. And, you know, I'm one of the original 80s style rude boys, you know, from back in the day. Yeah. So I'm like very, very entrenched in everything England. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And so like I developed this reggae show for Reggie Hudlin a couple of years ago that, you know, it's still sitting on the table. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it takes place in Jamaica in the 60s and in England. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so it's like the origin story of how reggae became big around the world. And it's centered around a, a detective story, you know? Okay. It's You're saying all the things. You're saying all the things that I love. I need to. I need to read this. So you need to. Send all right, it but to listen. I will send you. The, we just have it as a pitch right now. Yeah, yeah. I'll say. I send it to. Um, and so, but we're waiting for fucking Reggie. You know, Mister Busy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm like, dude, dude, you're killing me. You're killing me. Um, anyway, so uh, and I developed it originally with uh, Selwyn Hines. You know, and um, um, so he went off, and you know, now he's doing Washington Black and all this other stuff. So yeah. I redeveloped it. You know. Um, Reggie. Anyway, so that is like, I probably have six projects that I want to take to England. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we have, we're going to have to talk offline. We're going to talk. talk, talk. For sure. For sure. But, but anyway, so I was just saying, I'm really inspired by what you're doing over there. I know you're working in the, in the children's world. Do you have any intention to cross back over? Maybe you have some other yeah, stuff that are a little yeah. bit more darker, a little bit more edgier. I'm just, just more curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot. You know what's so funny? I... <laughs> The people who know me from like the sketch stuff that I used to do, like I had a sketch troupe that I worked with, were called the Audacity, and we did a lot of like fucked up. <laughs> a lot of fucked That's up hilarious. Stuff. I like that. The Audacity. <laughs> so we, and then, so actually, it's funny. A friend of mine is in is in, in town right now, so I've seen her a couple of times, and she was in the sketch troupe, and she was like, "I can't believe I still pinch myself that you're doing fucking kids shows after all the bullshit that you wrote." I'm like, "Yeah, true, true, true." I mean, the one thing that I, I mean, I have a, I do have a. A couple of adult series that I'm working on right now that I'm, that are developing right now with that are with broadcasters that you know I'm hoping I'm waiting to find out if I'm going to get a green light on. Like, but one like, you know one of the ones that I'm like I'm always like I'm always pitching. I have an animated series that it keeps on going around the block. It's called This Shit Again. <laughs> and I, I, this, I is one, this is one of the things that like talk to me is, about that one. I want to work on that one. That's cute. This, like that. this is the one that's like so it basically set. It's set in the near future. Aliens have come and uh, destroyed the entire world, and they've enslaved um, everyone that they haven't killed yet. And they're forcing them to like pick microchips out of electronic equipment. So it's told from the point of view of like a black man and his family who can't believe he's slave. He like they're slaves in the year 2024 or whatever year we, we said it. So <laughs> like, I can't believe we're dealing with this shit again. And the whole thing is like you know, everyone's. Same boat now, right? We're all like everyone's, you know, everyone's a slave now, and it's just like you get to deal with these characters who are like, who are like, you know, white characters who are like, I can't believe they would put us through this. It's like, really, motherfucker, you're the one that 
You have an opinion about this? Uh, they're making this right. works. <laughs> and there's a lot they, like they do one little thing and there's like they feel like they're slaving all day, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's a lot of and it's it's a lot of you know, I, it's with the it's with the production cover now, which we're we're talking about taking it out to different places. But it's just one of those, it's one of those shows that people read and they're like, because I have actually wrote a the, the way it happens, I wrote the pilot before anything else. I was like, I had this idea in my head and I had to get it out of my, my brain. Mm-hmm the pilot and people it actually 2015 it won like um a pilot competition for the la uh la comedy festival okay yeah with my man gary gary anthony williams oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so mm-hmm. it, it won that yeah. pilot competition and then it's been like kind of bouncing around ever since then everyone's kind of it gets to a place where they're like People are like i don't think we're allowed to do this shit. <laughs> like, just <laughs> 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 it just i feel like it's just one of those things where it's like once the right person is attached it'll it'll go it, it'll go places it's just everyone's reading this is really funny but we are too afraid to put this into the world yeah fair enough my yeah. friend my friend yule case do you know yule case no he's been around forever too he's an og uh writer he created a show and i'm not giving this all away but in his it's an animated show in their show it's I forget what it's called. Forgive me, I don't remember off the top of my head. <clears throat> but it's 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 basically about a world where we're in the future and all the white people have have, have died off because of their they don't have the melanin melanin we have. And so, but and it's like really funny where like everything that's called something white is now called something black. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. It's, it's kind of in that in in that similar world. So y'all need to be fucking talking. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. But I can tell yours has definitely got some grit to it, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the nice thing about it, like, like with the, the picture deck, it's just kind of like we have stuff where we're kind of like, we're taking shit from, like, like slavery, like things that people don't realize happened that, uh, and putting it into the show and talking about it in a, in a different way. And because it's animated, series, you can get away with certain things. Like, like you know, the whole thing where, like, they would they would force certain slaves to have sex so they can make super slaves, right? Like, all that stuff. Right. Like, we put that, like, that's in the deck where they're kind of like, oh, we need to, the people who are picking chips the fastest, that's what it's called, picking microchips, the people <laughs> who are picking chips, you got to get the, the chip pickers who are doing the fastest to, 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 to have, to make more kids. And it's just like, what? And then, you know, of course, it's, you know. Our, our lead, he's married. He's like, I don't, this is fucked up. And he's like, people are like, this is a fucked up episode. He's like, yeah, but this is the shit that was happening back then. This is what was, <laughs> it's a comment on all that stuff. And I think it's just a way people kind of, you know, are afraid of their history. And so a lot of times you're going to kind of have to like, you have to figure out ways to spoon feed it to them so they can understand. And that's, animation is one of those ways that you can do that. So I was like, mm-hmm. let, me, let me let me ask you. Uh, so we were talking earlier about, I noticed that, <clears throat> the theme on shows that you've worked on and even some of the ones you've 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 show ran have dealt with a lot of families and diverse families and stuff like that. When when people ask you what type of writer you are, you know, at the core, you know, do you w- what do you usually say about yourself? I say I'm a comedy writer. You know, like I feel like those those like what type of themes do you usually like to write? Themes? I you know, I find I, I get back to a lot of like um I get back to fatherhood a lot. Okay. Yeah. I was, you know, my my dad and I have a strained relationship. Like he, he had like I got, I got a brother and sister, you know, from the same mom and dad. And then he's he had another kid out of wedlock that I've not <laughs> met. 
I kind of broke up my parents' marriage. And then there's kind of like, so my, my dad and I have like a little bit of like a strange relationship. So I, I noticed like, I noticed like like four or five years ago, I was kind of like, I'm not a, a fatherhood shit going on. <laughs> I, was like, I got some stuff I got to work through. Yeah. It's probably one of the reasons I like Ted Lasso so much too, because the whole thing, I feel like Ted Lasso is just kind of like the, the theme of fatherhood just keeps on coming back in every episode. Yeah, Bill, Bill, Bill Lawrence is killing yeah. that show right now. Yeah, for real, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. I think family, I think also just the idea of like, the idea of like families not necessarily looking like, your family not necessarily looking like, because my parents, my family's from the islands, right? And the, mm-hmm. in the islands, all, there's all kinds of families. And anyone can be a part of the family. There's no like, blood doesn't really, doesn't really matter. Blood's part of it, but blood doesn't really matter. Like if, you, if you're in the family, you're in the family. You know what I mean? Like if you, you can come, Sit at the table. You're you're with us, right? Like we we claim you. It's all good. So I feel like that's part of like that's part of the message I'm putting out there too. Like you're just kind of like finding finding homes for for good people for, for characters for good people. Just figuring out ways to put that out there. And also the thing too, I'm trying to find shows to watch with my kids. Or I'm trying to write shows mm-hmm. to watch with my kids mm-hmm. because there's so few shows where you can actually sit and everyone's watching the show. Like so like with Secret Life of Boys, like it's one of those shows I can watch with my wife, my two, like we're all getting something out of it. Right. With this show that I'm doing now, Overlord in the Underwoods, like that's a show that people kind of like, they think, oh, it's a kid's show, it's got an alien, and like, watch mm-hmm. the show. And they're like, oh shit, no, this is not just a kid. It's not just a kid. <laughs> we get into some stuff in these yeah, episodes. Yeah. And you know, the whole thing with it being like, it's kind of like if Darth Vader was... I mean, the basic premise is like if Darth Vader was in witness protection with his seventh cousin <laughs> on Earth. I was about to say, yeah, like yeah. seventh cousin or some shit, or yeah, yeah. that's right. But you <laughs> Darth Vader's like, you know what? I gotta, it's, the block is hot. I gotta lay low somewhere. <laughs> it's like, I'm not gonna talk to my cousins on Earth and hang with yeah. them. But he's still. The, home, the homies are after me. The homies are after me. <laughs> yeah. I, gotta, I, gotta get, I gotta get out of the Star Destroyer. So, uh, so, you know, and it's just one of those things where it's just like it, the show works. For it made us laugh in the room when we're all grown, and it makes my seven-year-old son laugh, makes my fourteen-year-old daughter laugh, who doesn't laugh at anything, makes my <laughs> wife laugh. Uh, like it's just like it's one of those shows that we're like, this is an actual like it throws back to like a family show. It's funny because even the people who are broadcasting it are kind of like we don't even know where to put this show because it appeals to like everybody. So how do we attack the show? I'm like, it's a family show. Like those don't exist anymore. So who are we gonna? What are we gonna put this with? And like. Not my job to figure it out. I'm just making this. I'm, I'm just making the show as good as possible. You guys figure out a place to right, right. A place to put it because it doesn't. There just aren't that many family shows out there anymore that work for everybody. So let me ask you about about casting kids in shows. Yeah, I'm sure it's super difficult. You see so many of them to you know to to find your leads and stuff in your your series regulars in your shows. Like, how how do you like that process? Do you enjoy? That process is is it more difficult with with searching for kids, or or are you one of those type of showrunners that's more like send me your top five or your top ten, and then I'll look at them. Like, what's what's your usual way of breaking down casting? I usually try to look at as many people as possible because you just never know when it's always subjective, right? Like, you don't know who's gonna pop for you. They might pop for someone else, but it's who's gonna pop for you, right? Especially as a showrunner. Mm-hmm. I I think it's important to not only like when I'm casting kids to not just you're not just casting the kid, especially if you're doing a series, you're casting that family almost, right? Like mm-hmm. so like when back in the day when you would do like, you know, for Overlord, Overlord or any of the shows, like if we would do in person, 
you know, casting, I'd go out and meet whoever brought the kid. You know what I mean? Like, I go, oh, okay. how you doing? Nice to meet mm-hmm. you. And they always kind of like, oh, I didn't realize I was like, <laughs> that's smart. That's smart. It's important. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's important because this is the person that's going to be. They're going to be there too. They're going to be. And if you have a parent, like, we've seen horror stories, you know, like where the parent wants us more than the kid does. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the parent is like, you know, so I don't, I'm not about, I think if you're making a TV show, especially with kids, it shouldn't be, it's a job, I get that, but they're kids, right? Like, I still have that, like, they, they should have some fun making TV. Mm-hmm. So I try to make sure that it's as stress-free an environment as possible. And I, I always tell the parents, like, listen, if they need breaks, if they need whatever, like, if they, because if, I have kids myself, if you need to shut things down for a little bit, we will take care of their mental health, take care of them, because otherwise, how are you going to get anything good out of that? How are you going to get anything good out of that process, right? How are the kids going to be able to act or do any of those things if they're not in a comfortable place, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not one of those short ones that's kind of like, we got to get it know or or else like i'm just kind of like no this is especially because with comedies you want to make sure like it's not i'm not gonna laugh if i feel like there's a, a tortured kid behind, behind mm-hmm. that character right like yeah. it is a, it's gotta be fun it's gotta be fun. yeah so i i like yeah. to meet parents it's important it's important for me like i feel like i've done a good job like i've been very lucky to have really good kids kids on the shows that i've worked on really great parents on the shows i've worked on like i still i'm connected to all the parents uh, talking to them and like you know just checking in on the kid, make sure everyone's cool and good. And if they have any questions for me about anything, they know they can reach out and talk to me. And like, oh, so and so saying this, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Or like, just kind of like just being being able to, you know, be around to help out. So that's that's part of it for me. Like that. And then on top of that, like you know, making sure that they have like you know, they get their lines, they the principles of the character. The kids usually kids got to be pretty smart mm-hmm. to work in this business. I, I like to make sure that they are on top of those things. If they if they're asking good questions. And I think they're in a good place because they're like they're thinking about the character. They're not just like saying words that they read that morning. You know? right, right, right. Interesting. No, that's that's. I think that's super important. I don't think enough people do that. You know, for sure. Because I was just thinking about like <clears throat> your other show that's been going on for like went on for five seasons or whatever. Like, how in the world? First, you watch those kids grow. We also know yeah. you get past season two, you go into season three. You know the contract changes and, you know, people start making more money and, you know, all that and attitudes and, yep. you know, and I always make this joke with my husband. Here's funny. So I always say this. So we'll be watching the show season one, right? I'll be like, see how season one, everybody looks kind of plain and nobody looks special. Yep. I said, wait till season two or three at the most, but season mm-hmm. two, it's going to change. And he's like, why do you say that? So everybody starts making a little bit of money. They start being worried about how they look. Yep. And it's not necessarily about their character anymore. Yep. It is about how when they walk outside, people see them. So their perspective of the character changes too. Yep. So they start dressing better. They want to look cuter. They want hair done. You know what I mean? It just starts season two or three. It just completely changes. It's Every true. show you watch, everybody yeah. looks better. You know? Absolutely. Because, you know, that money starts to talk. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like, like oh, all of a sudden people are noticing me. In the in the mall, people are exactly you know, right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I got it. And then, what well, the thing to me that I was kind of like, I was at the top people. I was like, they kind of like, oh, I want my character to look really good too. I was like, ah, I mean, I'm cool with you looking good, but if the character, <laughs> character, not the kind of character that looks good, oh, I usually, I usually kind of have we have to have conversation <laughs> about this. Things. How do you um? What, what type of things, when you're staffing for your shows, what type of things do you like to look for? 
what what usually stands out for you in scripts? Um, is, it, is it? Let me finish my thought. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it more so you're looking to build your team, and so you're looking for somebody strong in this thing or this thing, or are you looking at I just want the best scripts who I think are funny or you know et cetera? Like, what are you usually looking for? So for me, like especially being back in Canada, one of the things I noticed was there there's there weren't a lot of upper level BIPOC comedy writers because comedy in Canada has been very white for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just the real. Um, even wait a minute, wait a minute. Sounds like Hollywood. I'm sorry. What? Yeah, I know. For, <laughs> like, even more so. I was like, oh shit. This. Is... So one of the so I've been look. I've been I've been doing other things to try and get more BIPOC writers to get their level up to get more. Well, let's then, talk about that. Let's get in. Let's we're gonna get talk, in. You, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that for sure. Like the, the showrunner boot camp that I'm doing. But we'll. Yeah. But for me, like when I'm looking for writers. Depends what show I'm doing. Like for instance, with if, if it's like a family show that has more heart than than comedy, I'm looking for people who are really good with character, really good with story. Who I like reading originals and I like reading specs. I, I'm cool reading either because really what I want to do is get a sense of your style through that script, right? Like I'm okay with it being I'm okay with you not having my style because I'm not trying to hire myself again. I'm trying to hire people who are going to make the show better in different ways. So I'm looking for a diverse, I'm looking for my A-team, right? I'm looking for a diverse group of people that everyone's going to have have different skills and different um, things to bring to the table. I will say in in Canada, the rooms are smaller, so you need people who have all the tools. You need people who can, who can write really great scripts, who are going to be good in the room for jokes, who are going to be good in the room for story. In the States, because the rooms were, even back in the day, the rooms were bigger, you could get somebody who's like really good with jokes, but not a great script writer. You could break up the room and let them go yeah. That yeah. person can hide away in a corner somewhere and just kind of like say jokes every once in a while. Like that's not an option here <laughs> in Canada, right? Like we do not have the money for big rooms. Rooms are usually like four people, like five people. This this not. I like it more <laughs> intimate though. That's that's better. Yeah, yeah. it's just everyone's like you know everyone's got in fact everyone here in Canada knows that you got to sharpen those tools. So mm-hmm. so that's what I'm looking for. And if it's like balls out comedy, I'm looking for people who are gonna make me laugh. People who are gonna find original ways to 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 surprise me with things. I'm looking for scripts that have really clear goals, really interesting obstacles, really interesting ways out of those obstacles. Like I'm just looking for, I'm just looking for people who um, who are gonna when they get in the room, they're going to be ready to write amazing scripts and make my job even easier. Yes, thanks. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Y'all hear that? That's what's up. So let's jump into what you're doing with the showrunners program there in Canada. Yeah. So. This is a uh, something that so it's called a, it's a called the showrunners it's a BIPOC showrunners boot camp boot camp okay sorry yeah it's right. the, the the reason the, the thing that basically what it is is that we have I'm basically taking um, fifty three upper level mid level writers people mm-hmm. of color here in Canada and I'm taking them through a boot camp of what it would be like to show run a show. So we're doing like four Saturdays, four full Saturdays where we just going to go from like everything from r- running a writer's room, um, hiring writers, uh, some of the, a little bit of the development process. Will it, will it be on Zoom, by the way? It was all, it's all on Zoom. Yeah, it's okay. all on Zoom. Because um, we have writers in Vancouver. We have writers in Toronto, writers in, on the East Coast. We have writers in Cal- we've got writers in Montreal. Like we've got a lot of writers all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so the... Uh, the basic idea is that we're just kind of going through all the nuts and bolts of like, 
what you would have to do as a showrunner from the beginning to the end of the process. So we did, we had a line producer come in, my good friend Jim Corson. He came in on the, sec- on the second Saturday and he just talked about line producing, what it means for him, like how he breaks everything down, schedules, all that sort of stuff. And then in the afternoon, I talked about how you work with a line producer, like what, like how that relationship works and how to make it work so that like that's that should be your role dog when you guys are in production. Like you two should be like you know should be together, on like you know be on be together with about everything. Like make sure that you are you have each other's backs. That's a relationship that's really important. And then we just talked about we just did our third session where we had a post production supervisor kind of walk us through the entire post production process, right? And then I kind of went through like as a showrunner, here's what you need to do during that process. And then in the fourth session that we have coming can, up in a couple can weeks. I, can I interrupt you really quick? Yeah, of course. Are also, are you also looking at, because I know this is this is for comedy, or is it for both? For everything, for any for comedy, yeah. for drama, for animation. Okay, so, so you guys are breaking it down for, because, you know, the turnaround sometimes is a little bit different, you know, the things you guys, yeah. you know, I'm and, just curious about that. No, yeah, yeah, it's one of those things that those questions will pop up, and we're just trying to, well, like, you know, because I come from a comedy background, but I obviously I know enough about the drama side of things, too, that I can kind of speak a little bit on it. But okay. that's one of the reasons why in the fourth session, I'm going to have um, some other showrunners of color come in. Floyd Kane, who is a um, showrunner for Dickstown. Um, Marsha Green, who is a showrunner for an sh- upcoming show called The Porter that's going to be on here in Canada, also on BET. And then Vera Santa Maria, who does uh, Pen15. So she's and she's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, and a person of color. So it's, so we're going to have like a panel discussion with all of them. So after I've kind of gone through everything, now you're going to get it from other people and you're going to get a sense of like how they deal with those things nice. as well. Just to kind of like, I, I understand this is, you know, everyone, they're getting most of the stuff from me, but mm-hmm. I want to make sure they get the idea that I, I always tell them like, this is like, showing is one of those things that it, it comes to you when it, you get that chance, feel free to make it yours, make, make the show yours, right? Like, if there's if you work a certain way and it works for you that way, figure out a way to incorporate that into your right. into the way you do things because it'll make it more comfortable for you and make it easier for you to get things done. That's just it's your job as a showrunner to make you know life's gonna be difficult already. Don't make it worse for yourself, right? Yeah, so, I always say the best showrunner is a is a really good anticipator. Like they're yep. constant constantly. Like people always tell me when I'm running a set, they're like, dude, you're like the most calmest person on the set. And I'm like, because I'm always anticipating. I'm just sitting, listening. I'm just, I'm like, oh, I feel some tension over there. Like something's not right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know what it. I just see things ahead of the head of the game. And then I'll come up to you later, three weeks later, and be like, Yo, Anthony, you won't believe what happened on the set three weeks ago. <laughs> and you're like, what? And I'm like, dude, I'm swear to God, they almost went to blows. You're like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I handled it though. You don't even know about that. It's such <laughs> you know an important like right. skill to be able to just like look around and just like see what's happening, right? Like. People are just kind of like, a lot of times people are like, tunnel vision, they just focus on little things, just look around and see what's going on. So, yes, yeah, so and then that's, that's the, and the reason why I'm doing it is because here in Canada, it's a little bit different than the States, right? Like for in the States, <clears throat> writers, when you're on set, you're around it all the time. You're in the room from, you know, if you're on a show that happens, that you're, that you're lucky enough to get on a show that has like 13, 16, 20 episodes, you're in the room for a long time. So you're there during pre-production, you're there during production, you're there during post-production, you're kind of, seeing it all happen. In Canada, a lot of times the writers are there for the beginning of the process, and then it's just the showrunner and like their script coordinator after that. And the writers have gone oh, not even Not even a co-EP or nothing. So Sometimes you gotta rewrite the script and everything from there on. Not always, no. So a lot of times wow. it's like, so the writers have moved on to like another another show, another series. So 
What that means is that when you get a chance to run a show, you've not seen, there's some writers in Canada who are like co-EPs, never been on set. Oh, dude, there's a lot of people here too. Yes, understood. It's, it's yes. right. So it's kind of one of those things where I was like, all right, so especially after the George Floyd thing happened last year, there's there's obviously been more of, uh, there have been more opportunities for showrunners of color to, to come about. But the problem is <clears throat> they've, no one's there's no support there's no support for them so if they fail what happens to people of color when they fail one time they ain't getting another chance <laughs> that's just the real right so i'm trying to get them to a place so that it demystifies the job they get a sense of like what they're going to be expecting when they get their turn so that they have a better chance of succeeding when they get there and they have another chance to so they can so they can get a second season or a third season and keep on going. But I feel like I felt like there was a lack of support for for people um, who are getting these jobs and getting these opportunities. And so I was like, let's let's do a let's do a let's do a boot camp. Where we can I, just I think it's super it. duper duper important. And I would even go so as far, Anthony, if you do this again, you might want to consider opening up to the black committee. You know. And, and I'm saying it because a lot of people here with the shorter orders, we're getting stuck in the same things happening to you guys. Yeah. So a lot of people aren't moving up. So they're staying in that fucking, as you already know, they're fucking, yeah. um, you know, staff writer, story editors for four times or whatever. I mean, it's ridiculous. So they almost never get to be moved up and to learn the other shit that's going on where yeah. they should have been, you know, supervising producers and stuff by now. And yet they're still story editors, you know, whatever. <clears throat> so it's, 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 uh, yeah, I think you should think about it. If you do it again, yeah, well, you know, you know I, I think it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's been a, re this first time we've been doing it, it's really, yeah. really, it's really done a lot of good work. I really do feel like in five years, a lot of the writers who are in this program right now will have their own shows and you're going to see the results of this program, right? Like they're going to, they're going to, every single one of them are going to be in a place where they're like, yeah, I, I was given some keys to succeed and I used them and this is this is changing the landscape. I think as well, especially with like, you know, WGA and the, the Black Writers Caucus, I think there's obviously there's like there's so much going on. I was doing I was part of the um, that was part of the subcommittee for the uh the showrunners um those showrunner meetings, the the, the showrunner subcommittee. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool. Like just even just like getting a chance to like because I I moderated some of those those things I got to I brought in a few showrunners to just talk to black writers, right? And like, yeah, I was moderating the one with Mike Shore when he came in and he talked to people. And it was just like, cool to see writers get a chance to just talk to Mike. And Mike was, Mike's fantastic. And it was great to just like get him connected to people. And I think there's like more, just more to do, right? And I think people don't realize that they think, oh, you know, people are doing stuff. It's like, oh, and, and the reason why I think, you know, your program is so important. I think you need to understand myself and Michelle and Bianca, who are the co-chairs of, you know, the Black Committee, yeah. we've actually talked, because after you posted your thing, you're going to be doing this. We were like, oh, this is great. You know, we need this, you yeah. know? And so, because we just did a big post-production one a couple weeks ago uh, for just our committee, you yeah. know, where we had a line producer and, you know, a showrunner and blah, blah, blah. And it was nice. And the reason is exactly because of this. So what's happening as I was mentioning earlier, so you're getting a lot of people who are getting staffed, but nobody's moving forward. Mm -hmm. So when they should be in a better place to where they could get into said program, you know, even at mid-level, you yeah. know, they're not even able to get in because 
even though they should be, you know, mid-level writer by now, they're still looked at as a lower level writer because they've been doing it for three years and so, or four years. And so that's, what's been happening. So to me, the more we have these events where we're able to put on these types of programs or boot camps or whatever, I think it's super duper important. So I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you to keep doing this as much as you can, because I agree with you. The more other people know, the more there's going to be more of us out there who are already ready. You know, they're not they're not going into the situation and because they've never been on set or they never, you know, worked on post or dealt with the yeah. line producer, you know, all that stuff. So I think it's super important. Let's, let's figure it out. Let's make it happen. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's it is important. And it's one of those things, too. Like for me, I went I went staff writer, story editor, staff writer, staff writer. What? Editor. Executive producer. Wow. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, that's 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 how in the states. I mean, I remember when who was it that posted that thing about someone posted last year. Someone posted something about like you, that whole thing with like being in the diversity program. Mm-hmm. It's cool, but then there's also there's a there's a two edges to that sword, where once you're out of the program, you have to go back and start over again because everyone's like, ah, you were just a diversity writer. I was yep. like, no, this is no, I put in the work, yep. but no one else is accepting the fact that that's actual work. So that for me, I had to go and you as a writer, you, you get, you're like, oh, so not only do I have to go back to staff writer after I've been, you know, I've already gone through the process. Mm-hmm. You kind of get to a place where you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to fight for this. And then they're like, well, it's either this or nothing. And then you're kind of yep. like, but I got to eat. So I guess it's yep. going to. And you learn as you get more seasoned when they go, oh, we don't have it in the budget. I'm like, yeah, you do, bitch. Yep. <laughs> you just chose not to do that, yep. you know, because I got to tell you, every every time you're on a show, sure enough, the 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 higher ups, the 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 producers and and co eps all the way up, they're still working on their deals. Sometimes we're already sitting in a room. Yep, <laughs> you know what I mean. That's how you know they're still working out, but you know their their money and stuff with with business affairs. You know, so there's shit going on, you know, for sure. Oh, that, there's money. That's, there's there's money. As soon yep. as they want to get a certain actor, oh, there's money. They want yep. to get a certain, you know, uh, uh, um, VFX, there's money for it. You know what I mean? So they it's bullshit. You to have it. Yeah, it's bullshit. Yep. It is. It's <clears throat> and it's like, it's crazy now is like, because, you know, one of the shows I worked on, though, Par- Amelia Parker and Parker Anderson's, mm-hmm. that show kind of reminded me of a situation that's going on right now. Like that show was basically, it was not my show initially. The show was, um, the show was created by a white man, mm-hmm. and the show is about a um, black man from the UK, white woman from Chicago. They, you know, the white woman is a divorcee, the black man is a widower. They both have two kids from their mm-hmm. previous relationship. It's a Brady Bunch, right? It's a Brady mm-hmm. Bunch, but it's, you know, black man and white woman, mm-hmm. and they they come together, and then now they got like you know they got their their interracial. Um, mixed family, right? They had done, they were writing that show and they got it to a place where they had written like 20 episodes, they were going to start shooting. They asked, they wanted to have half black directors and half white directors because it was, you know, a black and white family. Right. Black directors were not touching it. They were like, we're not going right. to do this show. It's tone deaf. Things aren't working. I can't. <laughs> he had black writers and black writers I know. 
mm-hmm. who are in the room. But you can have all the black writers you want if you're not going to listen to them. There you go. Then your show's going to not work, right? Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening was they they asked me to come and work with him, which I didn't do. Mm-hmm. Instead, I took the show <laughs> and he, he left. Um, and then I I had to, we did, I got a new writer. So you had to redevelop it. We had, I literally got the show five weeks before we started shooting. Ooh. And there were 20 episodes and every single one of them was a page one rewrite. A page one. Bro, like there were, I'm still traumatized with some of the shit that I read. There's an episode wow. where, there's, <laughs> there's an episode where the little white son was sick and they asked the older his stepbrother the older black son to to watch him during the day and that was his punishment because the black son we obviously rewrote all this no this is not even touch this but the the son was grounded because he got so angry and the son was written in such a stereotypical ridiculous way and the son was so angry he threw his remote he threw his like playstation controller at the tv and broke the tv uh-huh. angry black kid <laughs> And he got punished by having to watch the white kid. And I was like, and wow. was like, he's riding the black kids back. And I was like, so wow. this is an episode where Charlie has a slave. Like what? Wow. <laughs> like what is <laughs> what is Okay, I gotta know what the what the writer said about that at the show originally. So <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, I read some, I was like, okay, so these are all page one rewrites. Some of them we can, we can change, we, the stories are fine. We can change them in a way, we can change the characters, change the stories so they actually, that the representation makes sense across the board. I brought in writers who are all people of color. Mm-hmm. We rewrote the series. Actually, one of the, one of the writers that joined me when we did all the rewrites was a writer who was with the original showrunner okay. and she was in the room beforehand and then she was in the room afterwards and she obviously could, she can tell you herself that it was a, <laughs> uh, actually she's a, I was just talking to her about this show actually she's a fan of your she's a fan of the show and she's she's gonna be listening to this so what's up Murray let's have her on the show hook me up I'll have her yeah on. I have a, Murray you gotta come on the show and talk about this whole situation um <laughs> so she was on the show before and then afterwards and so you know obviously there was a big change but this is one of those things that were like I'm seeing so much more of where it's just like you are. These broadcasters keep on giving shows to people who have no right to tell stories mm. that they're telling, right? Like it's, mm. and it's happening still. Like I keep on getting emails from people and calls from people like, oh, they're doing this show, a white writer write it, but they're looking for, uh, they're looking for a Filipino writer to work with them. They're looking for a black That's writer. my bread and butter, buddy. Your That's bread and butter is- it's, it's somebody came up with something and they needed a black guy or a black yeah. girl. And I come in and pitch how we could change it and get rid of that white savory bullshit you have. It, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We Literally. keep on, like, this is the thing. Like, it's just like, it's frustrating to me because it's like, just get it right the first time. Go to, go to the Filipino woman. Filipino exactly. woman. Go to the, go to the black man. Go to them and get their story mm-hmm. instead of going to the white person that uh, you want to work with and get them to write a story that's not theirs and then bringing in somebody bringing in a face at some yeah, point. They're working so, backwards. Yeah, working backwards. Yeah. It's it's infuriating because it's kind of like, it's this place where it's like, so 
you're in a place, it's kind of that same situation where like, I was like, oh, I don't want to be staff writer again, but at the same time, I got to get paid. Writers are going like, I don't want to be the face on this thing and have to come in and, you know, be the person that saves the show. Right. But this is my way in. I got to, I, this could be the thing that will get me in the door so I can start making my own shows. Right. And it's always that situation where it's like, <laughs> is, we as people of color have to keep on like, acquiescing have to keep on like finding ways in and it always costs us a piece of our soul right like it always costs a piece of our soul to get in so as trying to figure out ways to get to places where you can just have you can just have your space and not feel like you had to give all this shit up to to get to here's, it, right? so. here's the irony about that though is i am literally i mean duh, i'm married to a white man you yeah. know i'm literally one of those people and I also can consider myself pretty pro-black at the same time, believe it or not. Yeah. You know, my sexual thing that I'm attracted to has got nothing to do with how I feel inside. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Or how I live my life or, you know, the shit I got to deal with driving down the street. And so I always say this because, so here's what happens. And you probably know this being in your position. I get a lot of white showrunners hit me and go, Hill, hey, we're looking for, I need a black comedy writer who's, you know, and it's like a non-binary, like it's always some specific whatever, whatever. Yeah. And and I'm like, okay. So one of them hit me earlier this year and they're like, hey, looking for a, a, a female queer black writer who's this, you know, we're kind of having this one thing with this character. We want to make sure that it's okay to, it was like some weird thing they were dodging, trying to tell me how to say what they wanted to say. Yep. And somehow he dropped the F-bomb, excuse me, the you know, the yeah. F-A-G. Yeah, yeah. And, but he was saying it like that's kind of what the character says, right? And I said, um, okay. And I said, well, can I interrupt you? He said, yeah. And I said, so look, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be really surprising to you. I said, I grew up in one of the worst neighborhoods in the world where the F-bomb was dropped so much it doesn't even affect me. So I'm the wrong person to ask about this, Yeah. right? Where I get affected with my gayness is when it's coming from a place of something volatile, something that's going to harm. Yeah. Not because people use it in my word like it was a fucking noun. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And so to me, it doesn't rub me as negative as it might rub the next you know, queer person. I said, so you need to find a person who it rubs wrong. If that yeah. makes sense to you. you yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. And I said, that's really going to be your key. You need, and, and I gave him the thing about, I think it was Damon Lindelof when he was doing um, Watchmen, when he was staffing his show, <clears throat> I've heard him talk about this a couple of times. He said something about the people who he staffed on the show were all the writers who said, in essence, they thought he was going to have a problem with something. Yeah. He didn't want a bunch of yes men. He wanted somebody who's going to be like, dude, I don't know. This yep. is going to be, it's going to be hard, but I'm willing to work with you. You know what I mean? He wanted those people. I said, that's what you need. You need somebody who's willing to work with you, but is also going to give you some pushback. Yep. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that I wouldn't give you pushback. I'm just saying that word wouldn't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean, I said, so remember, we're not a monolith. You know what I mean? We are not all the same. Just Far because I'm queer, Absolutely. you know, just because I'm black don't mean I understand what's going on in New York. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and vice versa, you know what I mean? So so it's um, 
I think I gave him a really good education, though. He ended up hiring, a, a, I think, the perfect person for it in the end. But he had to find somebody who was willing to push back. You know what I mean? It's so important. One of the things I always tell my writers when I, the, one of the first things I say to them is like, I, I'm fallible. You know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not perfect. Like no showrunner is. So don't be, af- if you see me making a mistake, don't have me going out to the world showing my ass. Stop me right. from, like, don't, right. <laughs> don't be like, wait, protect me from myself if you think I need to be, if I'm saying something stupid, like just don't, don't be afraid to speak up and, and, uh, and say something. I always tell people like, you know, especially with the, the showrunners boot camp, I said so many rooms fall apart because they're based in fear. Right. Everyone is a, the showrunner wants everyone to be afraid of them, and it's such an egotistical, bullshitty thing to, to do. And the, what that creates is a situation where people are telling you what they think you want to hear rather than what they want to say. Right. And if that is a situation in your room, you you're never going to succeed. You're never going to. You're just going to keep on getting what people think you want to hear. Like, how are you going to get better if if the, the, you've hired these great minds? And none of them are telling you the things that they actually believe or think. It makes no sense. So I would, I would, I've been, you know, how my 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 showrunner boot camp people were like, it's like, listen, we have to, you have to be aware. Like, you you're, you're gonna be wrong. You're gonna, it's okay when you're wrong. I was wrong. Let's move forward. Let's figure out a way mm-hmm. out of this together. It's okay. Like, don't be afraid to make these mistakes. It's just no one's no one's perfect. And just putting that pressure on yourself is just gonna make. And I think, and I think that's really the key. Like you said, you and I have run some productions. You run a lot more than I have because you've been on a more consistent base. Here's the interesting thing: every time you think you know, you don't. You get <laughs> on the set, and something new comes up. Every you just time. you just have to have your fucking ear to the ground and be ready to pivot. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's really the key. And and so you can you can you can do this boot camp, and all it's going to do really is get your mind ready to anticipate. He told me I might be in a situation like this. Now, yep. what am I going to do? You're not going to give him all the answers. You're not going to have them all. Can't have them all. You can't. You know what I mean? That's why I love what you said earlier. I'm trying to help them get ready so that they can use what they know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and use that. And 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 sometimes I'm always telling um, emerging writers now that thing you learned years ago that you thought sucked, that weird job where you were managing over some PR company or whatever, actually all comes into play yep. in what we're doing here. It's just called something different. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? You were doing that same shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I tell them, I got, I, got more, I got more help from my job as like working at the music park here where I was like one of the supervisors. Like you learn, <laughs> To manage people, you learn to manage emotions. You learn to to work with schedules. Work with that's from being a twenty two year old who had to keep an eye on nineteen year olds. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> that's that helped me with my showrunner experience. I had that experience young, and I used it when I became a showrunner because that's part like you're you're the CEO of a show, right? So these things are you you get these trans you know transitive skills from everywhere. Don't don't be afraid to use all your experiences to. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Forgive me. I don't mean to jump back. But no, it's okay. Because from what I understand, they don't always give you guys the budgets they give us here. How do you <laughs> yeah. usually work with that? Do you just got to be creative or does it help that you come from doing some independent stuff? So you're kind of used to that, you know, or, or what do you guys usually do? Yeah, the budgets are very, they're much, much more. And the thing that happens here in Canada too is a lot of shows get funding from 
the government. Like we get tax right, right. incentives from the government for federal and provincial. And so a lot of these production companies are trying to figure out these budgets by getting as many different people as possible involved. So they get tax credits, they mm -hmm. get like a broadcaster here in Canada. They sold the you know rights to this territory. They got a broadcaster in UK. There's so many co-productions here in Canada now, and that's the way that the business is going. So, when you have things where there's just like budget issues, and it's all about like you know finding a good line producer who is going to know how to use the money the best way possible. Right. And so it does mean things like you know when I'm writing scripts and I'm putting together stuff, I'm just incorporating. Um, more people when I'm when we're putting scripts together. So I'm sending the line producer premises, like mm -hmm. let you know there's some new locations in this in this episode. Uh, get back at me about if you feel like comfortable about that or like you know oh, this is cool. And we have those discussions. That's smart. Um, mm -hmm. You know, have those discussions early. Like, oh, you know what? We're gonna do. We're gonna you know we're gonna try and have this stuff in the studio. We're gonna try and do this stuff on location. Let's build a school. Let's build this. Let's build that, so we can be here as many times as we want. Mm -hmm. If you can put more episodes in the school, great. If you can't, we'll figure it. So little right, things right. like that that help with the budget. Those are that's all communication, and right? it's all just like talking with the people that are working with you to try and make sure that that money's going to go to the right places. And sometimes it just means like you know there are limitations, right? So just kind of you depending on what you write. You, you know, but we're all creative people, so we figure out ways to, to make those limitations work for us rather than feeling like limitations. Right. And yeah. that's that's one of the things that I am deal with a lot because I come from the indie world and now I'm, you know, in the network world. And it's been it's been fascinating to me because I see the different the difference in the budgets. But it 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 bothers me, you know, like with a lot of the black shows, even they still don't get the budgets that the other shows get for the most part. <clears throat> and unless you're on fucking HBO or something, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, um, it's, it's always, it's always sad for me when I have to look at a show and I go, man, I know the quality could have been so much better if they had this thing, yeah. but we have to learn how to make it work with what we have. And we can't do that cartridge. We can't do that special effects and we can't do that, whatever it is a lot. And, and, and I wonder if sometimes that's why we don't always get the eyes on them or we don't get the nominations because the expectations are there's not going to be the same quality. You yeah. know what I mean? So I'm, that's one of the things that I'm always trying to get, you know, filmmakers who are independent. By the way, I was going to tell you something. You know whose house I was at last night? Yeah. Who? Your boy Kelly Perrine. Hey! Hey! Yeah, my girl Tamika had her screening there um, at his house. We were all outside and um, she screened her, um, she did this little digital series called QT. Oh. So we all, we Tamika, all were watching. Tamika Briscoe. Briscoe. Okay, I don't know that Tamika. Okay. But yeah, that's cool. That's uh, Kelly. He's such a, that guy is so nice. That guy is like. The sweetheart. He's a total he's sweetheart. A, he's the nicest guy. Mm -hmm. I don't you, know guys, I, you guys are working on something now, right? Yeah, we're trying, we're trying to develop some stuff together. I just remember when I met him, I was like, oh, man. It's my man from. I just, I, every time I saw him, I always wanted to sing one on one. Oh, one. <laughs> 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 one of the funniest dudes i mean he, he, he was he was still a scene in a heartbeat yeah you know? easily mm -hmm. that yeah that's so dope because yeah. i came in i didn't know whose house i was at and all of a sudden he was bringing out a chair and he turned he went hell and i went kelly oh what's happening <laughs> i don't even know that was him 
because I've never been to his house. I've seen his house in like some of his his projects he's shot. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, this does look familiar. Now. <laughs> 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 um, well, thanks, man. This is dope, dude. I appreciate you, man. This was hella cool. Good, good. You know, finally chopping it up with you. I wish we could have yeah. just person. You know, but um, I'm sure you'll be back in LA one of these days. Yeah. You know what I mean? So pulling me back. Uh, Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. <laughs> like I said, man, really proud of you to to see a brother who looks just like us over there in Canada making it happen, running shows, you know, being the voice, you know, um, starting these BIPOC, you know, boot camp. That shit's important. You know, that's 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 the way to give back, you know. And I hope other writers listening to this will, you know, realize that there's things they could do even wherever they are, you know. Wherever you are. If I could not have gotten to where I am without people helping me up. So uh, I'm going to keep on reaching a hand down. Indeed. Indeed. Well, yeah. thanks, man. Where can people follow you? Are you on Twitter or Instagram? Yeah. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. A-Q Farrell, F-A-R-R-E-L-L. Uh, yeah, you can find me there. All right, indeed, indeed. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter. I say Twitter like I'm cool, Anthony. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at Hilliard Guest, uh, at Screenwriters RR for, for the, the Rent Room show. Also on Clubhouse, at Hilliard Guest. Um, also, uh, Chris Derrick is at Unauthorized, Unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Um, uh, you've got a lot of shit going on. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, whatever you guys listen to. Give us a five-star review. We are everywhere all over the world. Big shout-out to all you guys who listen to the show. Um, who Please give to the Patreon page, which is on our Screenwriters RR website. Um, please take a picture you know, of, of, your, of your T-shirts, your hats, or whatever. Tag us in it, and we'll tag it back and you know, promote that shit for sure. We appreciate it. Um, so thank you again, Anthony. This is dope. Do me a favor, join join with me for Wakanda Wakanda Forever. Yeah. And tell the whole family to come in for Wakanda Forever. Um, (laughs) So you guys know how we do it on the rant room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Anthony? Wakanda Forever. (laughs) You got to put the accent on, don't you? Wakanda Forever. (laughs) This will be dropped, I think, the the week of um, Thanksgiving. This will probably drop. Cool. Indeed, indeed. Something to be thankful for. Yes, sir. And I'll send you that um that reggae thing and whenever you yeah, get a chance. Yeah, that's no dope. That sounds cool. Look at look over to all the holidays or something. Yeah, yeah, sounds okay. good. All right, buddy. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, you man. Thanks. Right, have a good one. I'm gonna say what I feel, and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the rent room.